Welcome to the Leadership Matters Podcast, where we talk matters of leadership because leadership really does matter. Here's your host, Jeremy Albrecht. Hey, leaders, welcome to episode 33 of the Leadership Matters Podcast. My name's Jeremy. I've got an incredible brand new segment coming up in this episode of the podcast. It's called Leadership Top Fives, LT5s for short, and it's really where I'm able to sit down with some incredible leaders from all over the place, ask them my top five questions, and as they respond, we as listeners are all able to learn from and glean from the knowledge of their leadership experience. And so uh, I think you're you're really going to appreciate this. I'm still working out the bugs and trying to get better at this. And so I apologize for some of the audio in this one. I was trying out a new device and I'm not real happy with it. So I won't do that again. But you can still hear the heart behind this conversation. And this particular conversation is with uh, just an awesome leader, a personal friend of mine. He lives out in Alberta. He's led at all sorts of levels, local church, district level out there in Alberta, and now at our international office, um, which is found in Mississauga. And so uh, I think you're going to appreciate my conversation with Mr. Paul Fraser. Paul, welcome to the podcast. I uh, I was trying to think, I was actually trying to look up, uh, looked up on the website, and I couldn't find a whole lot for you there at uh, www.paoc.org. And I had a, I had a difficult time finding a mugshot or any kind of bio for you. So, Paul, why don't you start by just telling us how long you've been there and kind of what your role is there uh, at the PAOC. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, great to be on with you. Love talking about leadership and uh, appreciate the opportunity to share. Work at International Office and started in October 2017 as the National Church Multiplication Coordinator. So I work with our eight districts to help uh, move things forward for church multiplication. So that's church planting, disciple-making communities, missional initiatives, those types of things. And uh, yeah. yeah, so that's what I've, that's what I've spent uh, the last three years doing. And uh, that's, that's great. That's a, a lengthy title. Paul, do you have, just for our listeners today, um, you have like what does that look like on the on the day to day? Like what what do you spend the bulk of your time doing? Yeah, great question. It's a brand new position. In fact, we hadn't had it in PAUC since uh, or something similar like a church planting director since the eighties. Right. So it it's okay. been it's been a while. Uh, so yeah, I, I kind of I mean I have a job description, uh, but the day to day <laughs> stuff looks like you know just supporting leaders and planters, creating resources. Yeah gathering resources. Uh, these days, I spend a lot of time coaching. And uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a professional life coach as well and leadership coach. So uh, I spend a lot of my time doing that. So that, you know, a day-to-day looks like doing podcasts like this or uh, interviews or right. interviewing people, creating resources, meeting with people, and then just developing uh, what good structures look like for the PAOC now a hundred years old to become a multiplication movement again. Mm. That's good. Sounds, uh, sounds interesting. And, uh, and I'm sure is, is pretty rewarding when you're, you get to develop and, and help people, especially those with a passion and a dream to, to plant churches. Well, it, exciting. yeah, it, it is to, to be a part of their, their journey and process. Uh, but, you know, some of the things you do when you work at a national level, and Jerry, you know this at a district level, 
you don't totally know how effective you're going to be because you're not in the trenches, the week to week, uh, you know, and so I'm building stuff for a future, maybe that doesn't even exist yet in some ways. And so you're not totally sure if like, you're just praying and saying, God, please, would you just help me figure out what you want to do? Uh, And then I can, you know, build towards, build towards that end. Uh, I do miss the, the, the local church connection and, and, you know, being with, with leaders in the trenches. So the coaching has been a real, a real treat, like a real blessing for me to stay connected with the people that are, that are doing it. And and then it helps me understand what resources they need too. Right. Right. Oh, that's good. And you, uh, you touched on something there. I want to come back to it actually in a second. It's a little bit off script, but that's okay. I think you'll, you'll be fine to roll with it. Yeah. But before we get, before we come back to that, let me just ask you, you, you mentioned it briefly, how you, you do enjoy the local church. How long were you, I believe you were a pastor before, um, before national office at some point, I know you kind of, Went uh, went through a, a different track than many do. Uh, I think you spent some time at district office as well. Talk to us just a few other ministry positions that you've held, and and maybe just give us some context. Like, have you always been in ministry? Like, when did you get into ministry, and, and kind of why ministry? Yeah, great question. You know, I'll try to keep it short. Twenty three years in ministry now. Uh, I started full time at West Embassy Christian Assembly. Uh, May 1st, 1997. And that was my first youth pastor gig. And and I graduated uh, in uh, 93, went right to college, did uh, did my schooling, and then went right into ministry. So I didn't have uh, any other things other than I worked at a bakery as a baker. I don't know if you knew that, Jer. Like, nice. Yeah. <laughs> No, I didn't. This is this is brand new news. What was your favorite thing to bake? Uh, I don't know if I had a favorite. To be honest with you, I got kind of tired of like baking for a season. Like I still don't. Yeah, I yeah. still don't eat bread very often. Um, probably the thing that the thing that I liked was was probably bread because it was the easiest. You you couldn't really screw it up. Although one time I did mix I did mix up <laughs> I did mix up the salt and the sugar. So instead of putting, yeah, yeah. so instead of putting like, you know, 14 pounds of salt into, you know, a batch of 150 loaves, I put like 14 pounds of salt and it didn't work. Uh, One other time I lost, one other time I lost a (laughs) Band-Aid in the bread. So we tell me it wasn't in a loaf of bread. We had to throw the whole batch because we couldn't find it. Yeah, it's just, oh yeah, with lots Dude, we could just do a podcast of baking stories, man. But anyways, oh, that yeah. So I paid, you know, kind of paid for school uh, working as a baker. But yeah, really, ministry was always, always the thing that I did. And so, pa- youth pastor did some kids men, young adult ministry. Uh, after six years, left, went to Millwood's, and I was the first ever publicly funded pastor uh, in Edmonton. Uh, we have wow. charter schools that also schools. So the Christian school system is actually uh, part of the public system. And so, uh, yeah, it was really cool. Had some really neat opportunities, spent three years as kind of the campus pastor, and then went to district and became the district youth director for 11 years about working there. Also did some church planting and then moved to national office to be the national uh, church multiplication coordinator. Yeah. That's quite a, uh, quite a rap sheet there. (laughs) 
Um, I, I, I love how you started off as a baker, though. I'm trying to think of all the, uh, the places I could take this. It's a whole bakery. Like I, but we'll, we'll maybe for the sake of time. Like I said, we we'll, we'll, we'll keep, keep it moving. moving. But I have so many funny, so okay. many funny stories. Well, so many. Paul, that's one thing I appreciate about you so much is you always have a great story. I it's one of the things that I love about hanging out with you in person is you're always good for at least oh. one. Um, deep, you know, uh, belly roar type of laugh. And uh, I, I love you for that, man. Amongst many other yeah. things, you know, your ability to bake salty bread and all of that is good too, but I love Thanks. your story. Good stuff. Um, Paul, you, you mentioned something that kind of in the intro there a little bit, just about being at the national level. And I've definitely experienced this uh, at the district level as well, as I'm sure you have, as you spent 11 years as the district youth director in Alberta there, but it is a lot tougher. And you alluded to this a moment ago. It is a lot tougher to see kind of the results of what you do, especially when you get to a district level and, and, and even more so probably I would imagine in, in an international mm -hmm. level. Um, so how do you personally, um, how do you personally compensate for that? Like, if, especially, I don't, I don't, I know you, but I don't know, you know, know you, intimately in the sense of you know what makes you tick and and if you're a goal oriented or a, you know you like to see the results of what you do but i imagine we all do at a certain level um appreciate being able to see the effects of what we do and sometimes it can be so tough at, at this level of leadership to see the effects of what we're doing on the day-to-day -day. and so that can make it tough for some leaders to even get out of bed in the yeah morning. that's like, true what's the point you know am i even making a difference um, so I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Just you personally, like, what do you do to compensate for that? How do you find kind of your fix or, or satisfaction, um, when you don't necessarily get to see it at a, on a yeah, ground level? It, it, there's no doubt about it. It is a challenge to find wins and from weekly mm -hmm. wins as a youth pastor to yearly wins as a district person to now sometimes the wins happen every two years like we have our general conference every two years for example I remind myself is part of my call is to be a starter not always the finisher so when i look back at my mm -hmm. roles like west Emily christian Assembly at the time never had a junior high pastor well i was the first kind of person to do that millwood's christian school never had right. a full-time pastor before i was the first kind of person to do that uh, i was one of the first church planting uh like directors in the alberta district so i and now at national office i wasn't the first but you know re it's you know restarting that again so i sure. i've understood that my yes. job really and my call has been that till now has been a lot of like starting things and sometimes you know starting things it takes a lot of, you know a lot of uh you know a lot of momentum things rolling um but things new you can see progress pretty quickly so that's helped me that's helped me i don't know if that would help others there's there's probably other leaders out there that are going oh my gosh i'd have i have to finish everything before i can move on to the next for me for me i just keep starting things i just keep starting things and so that energizes me the problem then is that who finishes it spend more time on learning what it means to finish and that's a challenge for me because sometimes to finish things, it takes really like a lot longer to do, if that makes sense. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think, 
um, you know, what I what I'm hearing you say, then, you know, we all might have a different answer for that question. But I think what the bottom line is kind of you really need to yes. know yourself and know what you're yes. wired to do and what yep. fills you. Right. Yes. What yep. fills you might not fill me. That might be a draining for me or some other leader listening today. Yep. But we really do ourselves, you know, the, the best we can by by knowing ourselves, becoming self-aware and what fills us. And uh, we've got to have those fillers in our lives, uh, regardless of what we see on the day-to-day and the effects of what we do. I think that's yeah. You got to know self-awareness is such a huge part of a leader's life. You know, knowing who you are. Like one of the most freeing things for me as a young leader was discovering who I wasn't. Like I'm not this person. I'm not that. You know, I'm me. And so embracing that, loving that, leaning into that has just been a game changer for me. We're going to switch gears here a little bit and get into uh, a brand new segment. We're going to start here on the podcast called uh, LP5s, Leadership Top Fives. Basically, this is is an opportunity and you're the first, man. So congrats. See? Um, You're the very first. So no pressure at all. But you're a starter, right? So this is what you do. So it's perfect. Perfect. So uh, just an opportunity for me to ask you, I've been uh, dreaming up some significant questions I hope that will uh, be beneficial and, and help equip and encourage um, our uh, our listeners today. So we're going to kind of go in a few different areas of, of your life, if you're willing to go there. And uh, yeah, so I, I want to start with more of a personal question. And um this one kind of has to do with just some, yep. some personal habits, disciplines. And so I'm wondering today, Paul, what your most effective personal discipline, kind of the one that, that yields the most results in your life and leadership, like like if you were to only have one, if you could only keep one. I know you're an incredible leader and leaders have all kinds of various personal disciplines that yield results for them. But if you if you could only have one, like what would you say has been the most beneficial to you over the years what one would you definitely keep this would be like a, a number yeah one so um, and then tell us yeah, why so I so think you you know the question is more personal habit you know what is what's the thing that that you know not necessarily leadership yeah, habit yeah. but the personal side of it yeah no just a personal discipline yeah. so yeah. for me uh, there's a book that I read some time ago in fact I heard him speak at Catalyst Conference some years ago. His name is Charles Duhigg. And he wrote a book called The Power of Habit. And I didn't read the whole book, as I mm. often don't, because I'm a starter, not a finisher. So I, I, I start a lot of books, but I always finish them. Uh, so, which is, yeah. side yeah. note, which is why I love executive book summaries. They're like eight pages. You finish a book in 20 minutes. They're amazing, but oh. amazing. 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 Uh, The the habit for me that I wanted to think about, you know, for this is he talks about keystone habits and a keystone habit is a habit that sets off a chain reaction of other good habits. So that's what, you know, so the habit that for me that I find the most fruit with that sets off a chain reaction of other good habits is exercise. When I'm exercising, I'm Mm. eating better. I'm sleeping better. Uh, which helps me, of course, you know, think better, work better. Um, So so for me, personal exercise is what knocks over uh, like the domino effect, knocks over dominoes in every direction of of good habits for me. 
when I'm not doing that, I find it harder to do the other habits. So for me, that's the thing that I've leaned into over the years. Well, what does that, if I can, uh, what does that look like, uh, you know, for you on a week to week basis? Like you're a morning guy, you get up and work out. Like what, what does that look like? Well, that COVID, you, you know, we blame COVID for so many things. And to be honest with you, COVID shouldn't, COVID shouldn't oh. be, I mean, other than gyms being closed. Um, yeah. Like other than gyms right. being closed, it shouldn't change the fact that I could go jogging or whatever. Now, now I had an injury in my foot, so that kind of set me off a little bit. Dropped one of those lobes from the No, basement, seriously, right? dude, it, like, I ran a 10K in really bad shoes, and uh, and that was a mistake, okay. and so it just really set off a chain reaction of pain from my Achilles tendon down to my feet, you know, yeah, it's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so okay. so not not smart, so it's important to buy good shoes if you're going to exercise, um, but, but for me, it, it, I don't have a specific um, rhythm because... Personally, I like variety. So for me to say like, well, I got to do every morning will feel a bit more like a chore. So sometimes I'll take a lunch hour. uh, Sometimes I'll go in the morning. Sometimes I'll go in the evening. uh, Sometimes it depends on my wife's schedule. We like to go to the gym together. Um, So there's lots of lots of different. There's nothing specific, but other than like three to, you know, three to four times a week when I'm at my best. I'm exercising three to four times a week. And then again, that helps me eat better, sleep better, da, 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 da. Uh, Paul, I want to, I want to move on to uh, kind of relationships and family a little bit. Um, and uh, before, before I ask the question, how long have you 25 been years this August. Yes, sir. Wow. 25, 25 man. Yeah. 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 And you guys no, we couldn't go, go anywhere. To Italy. We had it all ready to go in. Oh, and uh, no. we had uh, we were going to go out and speak at a church planters conference out there and then uh, take some extra time. And, okay. and yeah, man, just unfortunate, really unfortunate. But but anyways, 25 oh, years, it's been you know, we got married at 19. So I wouldn't suggest that to 19 year olds wow. <laughs> who might be listening out there thinking about oh, I want to get married. Uh, but yeah, yeah, 25 What's the best piece of practical advice? Again, this is more on a personal level, personal question, but what's the best piece of practical advice you've ever been given in regards to building a healthy ministry yeah. relationship? Um, 25 years is a pretty, that, that's a pretty significant uh, time, especially yeah. in this day and age, as we know. Um, the average marriage doesn't last that long anymore. And uh, so, you know, kudos to, to you and your wonderful wife. Um, for making it to 25, but that doesn't just no. happen. That doesn't just happen all on its own. No. Just desire alone doesn't doesn't make that a thing. So talk to us about maybe, you know, a healthy practice that's really helped you guys if you could. Yeah, well, that. they're kind of tied together, but it, but it really kind of fits under the category of like honoring one another. Um, when I try to change my wife or she tries to change me into what we think they should be, uh, you know, each other should be, that has always created tension. Uh, so one of the things that we've learned over the years is that we we are quite different. Like, I don't know if you, we, we talk about Enneagram. Now I know some people are like, Enneagram's like really bad. Some people think it's amazing. For me, it's been helpful to understand that sure. my wife is a one and I'm a seven. 
So if you know Enneagram, people are out there going, ooh, you know, like my mom, lo- you know, my mom, my wife loves structure. Uh, she likes, uh, you know, ri- routine and order. And I love variety and fun. And so, you know, so me trying to make her and change her has always created tension. But but I honor the things in her. And she honors the things in, in me. And so we don't try to change each other, but we try to honor who each other are. And then and then the second part to it is preferring one another, where you actually want what's best for the other person more than what you want what's best for you. Um, I didn't really, I didn't figure that out early mm. on, like early on in marriage when you're 19 and, you know, uh, you, you don't, you, yeah. you don't think about preferring one another. You're still kind of focused on you. Uh, so those were, those were tough years. Uh, yeah. But, but when we figured it out, it, it's been beautiful. When, when I look at Corey and I say, I want to honor her, who she is and who God's made her and all the gifts and then I prefer, what What does she want? How can I make uh, what God's called her to do? How can I come alongside her? Um, that has been a big shift and change for me that has just produced so much fruit and vitality in our marriage. Well, I appreciate you, uh, you sharing that. I think we've got a lot of young listeners on this, this particular podcast. And so uh, I think that's so helpful. And you, you are the people that have gone before us, some of, some of the younger leaders, and, and look up to, to people like yourself, you know, who can sit there and say 25 years, you know, and I'm sure it's oh, not a, all a bed of roses. There's aches and pains and, and uh, stretching and growth that takes place along the way. But I think those are two great, great um, pieces of advice to give some, some younger leaders out there. Right. Maybe even some older ones who... Uh, we could use a little bit more honor and yeah, and I think their, their I, by the way, this isn't easy. This is like the hardest thing you'll do is to put is to put other yeah. people first. Yeah. yeah. But the but there's just there's just so much fruitfulness that comes from it, and you know it just makes it just makes perfect sense when you read the scriptures and you see you know how where it talks about how husbands yeah. should relate to their wives, should love their wives as Christ loved the church. Like he, he gave everything up for the church. And so that's how we're supposed to love our wives and wives are, are to, you know, of course submit and, but not out of like this, I'm, you know, less than or worse than it's just like, it's a preferring. That's what he's getting at this preferring, this honoring, and it goes back and forth. And, and uh, the marriages that I see that are the healthiest that have longevity, figure this out. And so that, you know, so if the earlier, the better, yeah. and, and you might be saying, well, I don't want to do that. Exactly why you should, <laughs> you know, I don't want to prefer. I, I feel mm, like, and the, cool. the other yeah. thing is, if you always want to be right, like you, you cannot win in marriage unless you win together. So if you feel like you've won an argument yeah. and your spouse has lost the argument, then you both lost. And that. Yeah. You know, for a competitive guy like me, that, that, you know, that early on, man, I wanted to win everything. I had to be right. And the reality is you, when one wins and one loses, you both lose. You can only ever win together. Oh, that's, that's great. That's gold. That was worth the podcast right there. Paul, I appreciate that. Um, let me, let me follow that up with a, a parenting. You, you guys, um, 
you guys have four kids, I believe, and uh, I believe most of them yeah. are grown. You yeah. might have one Still. teenager left, I'm not sure. Um, but young, young adults. And uh, so talk to us, just, we got leaders on here who have kids, some of them early on stages, you know, two, three years old, but then we've got others, you know, who would have the, uh, the 13, 14, 15 year olds too, and then even beyond that. So what, what's a piece of advice um, you've gotten over the years on parenting that's, that you've tried to intentionally apply in your own relationship with your kids as a dad that's Really yeah, when I was a youth pastor, I paid attention to the kids that I thought right. navigated those junior high, senior high years well. And, you know, and and because I was working, right. I was working with, and I'm sure this, this principle applies to, of course, younger. You know, it wasn't socioeconomic, you know, like, what's the consistent thing, right? Well, you know, did they come from, you know, you know, healthy financial families or, you know, what was the defining and none of those characteristics. The thing right. that I came back to was this, and that's what I was the kids that navigated those years. The best had parents that were involved in their lives that had time with them. It was time. Mm -hmm. The more time the kid, uh, the parents spent with the kids, the better the students were. And it, you, you could see it is the kids that didn't have hardly any input from an adult or their lives. I'm sure you saw this too. They struggled. Yeah. They yeah. couldn't figure it out. It was, you know, they, yeah. they had no one to go to, but the parents that were there, uh, I remember when I was coaching soccer and, you know, the kids, you know, when they're five parents are out, everybody's out, you know, yeah. once I started coaching 14 year olds, 16 year olds, 17 year olds, 18 year olds, Parents stopped showing up and yeah. it just saddened me so much that literally I would be the only parent or one of two parents watching the kids play. And there's, you know, 15, 16. So it's yeah. time, spend time, it, of course, quality time, but it, but it, but some, I would even go for, I'd say it's quantity, like just yeah. to know your kids, you're there watching them. They may not acknowledge you, you cheer for them. And they like, I cheer for my kids. I'm loud. They get embarrassed. Oh, why are you cheering so loud? But they knew I was there, right? Yeah. I, I didn't miss many things, even with all my district travel. And, and to be honest with you, that's one thing about ministry that I loved. It's probably one of my favorite things is that I could bring my family to things. We spent so much time together. And yeah. uh, so I would say if a young parent out there, you're like, well, how do I make sure my kids know this and that? Time. Just spend time with them. Make them a priority. I think one of the things I've learned over the years, I can't remember if I read it somewhere years ago or if it was a quote or something, but you mentioned it just a second ago. You said it's probably more about quantity than, than quality. And one thing we've learned with, with our kids is you, you can't plan quality, but you can plan and schedule quantity. True. And quality, quality is one of those things that just happens. Like, I can't tell you when the next quality moment is going to happen with one of my kids, but I can tell you when the next time I'm going to spend time with them. And in that time, in that quantity of time, quality is bound to happen. Right. right? And, and so yeah. I think we, we, we often, we look for those quality moments. We, we just want to have, Oh, I just want need a quality moment with my kid. Well, the only way you can have that is if you have quantity and quality happens within the quantity. And so I, I just echo what, uh, what you just said there, time spent so key and I definitely saw it as a youth pastor too and I see it now even in our own kids and when that gets you know when that 
goes astray a little bit and it becomes a, a bit of time since the last time you had some time with your kids, like you notice the effects of that. Can I just throw one yeah, more I, thought in? Yeah. No. Um, for those, for those, maybe file that, maybe you're, you're, you know, parents of, of younger kids. And so just file this away later. One of the things that makes it a little bit harder to spend time is when the kids get their driver's license. Because now, you know, you had to drive them to the game, so you might as well stay and watch. You had to drive them to this, so you might as well stay and watch. Can I encourage you, if you've got a teenager that's got a driver's license, to to go out of your way, even though it's like two vehicles at an event, like they need you all the way, all the way through. And uh, wow. even if they even if they've got a driver's license, I remember talking with a young adult, and you know, he just said, "Man." You know, I just feel like I just feel like I'm kind of stuck at 16. Right. I said, well, what happened at 16? And he was a bit older, you know, in his 20s. It's like, yeah, I just feel like I got stuck at 16. I still and I'm like, well, what happened at 16? Well, I got my driver's license. Well, what happened there? Well, I, you know, my I just felt disconnected. My parents stopped coming to my things and I just got, you know, I just yeah. I just don't feel like I ever, you know, I just got stuck there. I just. And and for me, uh, that was a little bit of a, a learning all the way up till they graduate high school. Make an effort, even if they're driving themselves, make an effort to be there. So I just thought I'd throw that in. Some are going to oh, have to follow that away for a long time. Sure, sure. No, but I think that's uh, that's great advice. Um, and, and even at the teenage level, I was thinking of this earlier as you were, you were talking, and I'd love to get your perspective. You know, I don't mind parking here for a second either. I'm taking a little okay. on this because I think it is valuable. But uh, as they get to the teenage years, even before the license, to say 14, 15, what I've noticed, you know, as a youth pastor and even now as a dad of, of kids in that age and stage, the yeah. tendency, this is when they really start to, to gain their friendship groups and start hanging out with friends more. And they're not, you know, they're not around the house as much. They're not wanting mom dad they used to and mm -hmm. and you notice that separation start to set in what would you say to a parent who's kind of navigating those years right now and just uh, you know here we are telling them hey you should spend time with your kids and they're saying yeah but my kids don't want to spend time with me uh, i know that's one thing to say and i've got a perspective yeah. on that as well but i'd love to hear what you'd say to that parent who says yeah but my, you don't know my teen like they don't want to be with me yeah what would you so say to that? And also, too, you know, as the kids get in junior high and high school, they have more homework. So it's not that yeah. they don't even want to be with you or they have time sure. job. And so they just yeah. get busier. So for us, what we did was we made sure that the family supper was something that everybody made a priority for. So at least once a day, we all got together and we sat down at the table. And sometimes when it was a soccer night and Two kids had practices and we're flying all over Southwest Edmonton. We still sat down and had a meal together and we made that important. And right. incidentally, it's a keystone habit. Kids yeah. are more likely to, more likely to, more likely to knock over good habits if they have dinners together with family. Sure. There's something sure. about that. So, yes, make an effort. Find intersections, go out of your way. Uh, you know, sometimes you got to wiggle yourself into your kid's life, you know, because they're pretty independent. Yeah. And, you know, like 
you got to be sensitive, but you got to, you've got to be intentional. But for us, what we found just so valuable, being suppers, a priority to connect, to have a meal together. So we knew at least once a day we were checking in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great practical advice. And I know it's, uh, we, you know, I look at that, I think, okay, that's a no brainer. That's so simple. But then, you know, as we've done that in our home, I know as we talk to our kids, they'll tell us, you know, because they're online with their friends, right. they're not leaving for supper or shutting tech off to go have supper with their family. I've just realized how rare it actually is in our world today. for families it, it, to eat It's stuff. true. It's so true. Rare. Yeah. But, but like you said, it, it is one of those keystone habits that just has compound effects to it. And uh, you can read articles and books that yep. parenting books and everything else, the, the positive effects that that has on a kid is just, and an entire family, but yeah. especially on the kids is, is huge. So yeah, oh, that's make, great. Yeah. Make the effort. Yeah, um, Paul. I want that's a, a nice segue actually into the next area. The next question I want to ask of these top five questions. Question number three, and it's it's kind of a mission-minded question, personal mission for you. And you've talked a little bit about soccer already and coaching that, and so that may, might be part of your response here already. Um, but one of the things I've noticed in ministry for 20 years now myself is that oftentimes as leaders, we can be so good at leading others to do the very things that we're not doing ourselves. Yeah. And obviously we see the results of that down the road, the ripple effect of that. Um, but I'm wondering for you specifically in your context there, you've lived in, in Alberta for most of your life. Um, if not all of it, um, I'm wondering how you've, you've intentionally stayed outward focused, like where are you involved in your community currently? And, and maybe even if you got a story, you know, from that and just you being intentional about being involved in your community so that you can stay fresh, obviously it's not just to, to lead well, it's because we love people as believers yeah. and followers of Jesus. That's our primary focus is people. This is why we do it. It's not to check a box or anything like that. Um, but just talk to us, talk to the listeners today, just a, a little bit about kind of your, uh, your, your living on mission. Well, I'm so glad you asked that question because this is, this is the question, you know, that, mm. that, that we need to be not just, you know, uh, hearing the word, we actually have to do it. Sometimes we speak the word, uh, doing it is incredibly yeah. important. Uh, when the kids were younger, it was much easier, to be honest with you, because I was coaching, I was involved, right. we were volunteering, we were rubbing shoulders with people all the time. Uh, our kids would go to the playground together, we'd meet other parents, our neighbors had similar age kids. Uh, you know, right. so there was lots of natural intersections. Now, my youngest is grade 12 this year. My oldest is okay. uh, uh, 23. And... Uh, so it's, it's not, there's not as many intersections that the kids, you know, lead us into. So Corey and I have just, you know, our, we feel like our ministry is to our neighbors um, yeah. to, to, you know, yes, I work at a national level. Yes. I'm uh, you know, I'm involved in church. I sit on a couple boards for church plants, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm connected to the local body, but the personal mission side of it, I, I remember Craig Groeschel said this some years ago, that he was a full-time pastor, but a part-time follower. And uh, that's that's what I have felt like at times in ministry, where 
where I'm just, I'm not being who I need to be, you know, as neighbor Paul, you know, is like, right. how can I be a good neighbor? And so um, our, our neighbors are our are, are priority right now. And so, you know, we, we walk around our neighborhood, we walk our dog, we meet a lot of people, uh, you know, walking our dog and saying hi. Right. Um, when we built our fence, I mean, I couldn't believe how many conversations we have. We're on a corner lot on our cul-de-sac and we built this yeah. fence and people were just walking by. But for me, just to look at my neighborhood and go, okay, so what does church look like for them? And it might look like our house, our home or their home. Um, yeah. You know, again, COVID gets in the way of some of that. But the idea is this idea of the ecclesia, like what is what is church? And I think right now everything's up for debate on what church is. But perhaps church could be sitting down where two or three are gathered in his name, studying scripture, uh, discipling one another, um, having good conversation, being on mission. So I'm excited to see where the, all of this is going. And since, the, since you know, we've started praying, God, this is what God has done. He's put a burden in us. Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes we put mission before burden. And then mm -hmm. what happens is mission becomes obligation. Yeah. Well, we have to do it. We have to do it. But I actually think a burden placed in us by the Spirit the things that Jesus loves, you know, we love Jesus. So that means we love the things that Jesus loved. That burden inside of us will actually open up more opportunities. Um, and, and, and it'll cause us to pray more. It'll cause us to think about them more. So I'm, I'm grateful for what my neighbors are teaching me about yeah. life. And, you know, so it's, it's beautiful. I don't know where all this is going, but I'm excited about it. And so these are some yeah. of the things that, that I feel like the Lord's beginning to weave together for my wife and I and our family. That's awesome. I'm so excited to hear that. And I look forward to hearing the stories about what you're doing through you guys. Yeah. In your neighborhood yeah. There. I, I definitely know, um, personally speaking for myself too, that, that I've realized in my own life that urgency for people who maybe aren't believers yet or um, don't have a faith in God yet, the urgency in my heart increases as the proximity to those people gets closer. Yeah. And totally. I, I just, I just come to realize that when I, you know, it may not be for a specific purpose, but when I make these people friends and they're, you know, people I talk to regularly might have a meal with once a week or like things like, that, and you actually get close with these people, you'd be surprised yeah. how much yeah. your heart opens up and you, and you now have a deep, uh, real significant burden for these people. It's not just a waving across the street at your neighbor anymore. Like, yeah. you're thinking about them. You care about them. You care about what they're going through. And, and God just grips your heart for them. So uh, yeah. I think that's yeah. so true. And it sounds like that's what's happening there in your neighborhood, which is awesome. Yeah, they're excited. And we're, uh, we're better leaders when we're living on mission, right? We just are. We're uh, oh. so, so much better. And uh, totally. I think it's so important, like you said. Um, question number four, um, I want to talk, get into ministry for a second, specifically. Uh, we, we've heard, you and I have both heard, we've heard the metaphors before that ministry is not a sprint. It's a, you know, especially in leadership, it's a marathon. 
Um, and we also realize that charisma and competency, although they might get you a platform, that's definitely more about a leader's character that's going to keep them on it. And there's all sorts of analogies we could use for that and, and get into that. But with that in mind, I'd love to know from your perspective, talk to us a little bit, maybe about a, a guardrail, a boundary, and we're talking leadership wise now, um, yeah. that you have intentionally put in place for yourself as a as a Christian leader, as a ministry leader, that's that's kept you in in the game, so to speak, for lack of a better term. But it's it's kept you in the game to this point. When we see so many moral failures today um, from from leaders in all sorts of places around the world. But what what's been a help for you in that area? It's hard just to you know say one because obviously marriage you can't be in it for the marathon without having a healthy marriage. You got to run with leaders. You got to run with leaders. I've found running with leaders that are the same age and stage of life have been the ones that have just been the biggest gift. Um, you know, because they get what you're going through it. Um, but for me, I guess, I guess the one thing that maybe others, you know, because obviously most leaders do that. I would say the two guardrails is counseling and coaching. Um, mm. I, I, I work into my yearly rhythm, uh, counseling sessions. Um, at least I try to for the mental uh, maintenance, right? Just for mental mm. maintenance. It's like a vehicle. If you don't do the maintenance, the engine's going to blow up. The transmission's uh, going to cook, you know, you're not going to have brakes. Uh, you know, it, it, it becomes a safety issue when you don't do the maintenance. And so counseling for me has just been a tremendous help. So I've appreciated it. And then coaching uh, helps me with focus, purpose, keeps me, uh, you know, aligned with my values, which of course creates fulfillment. So I would say counseling and coaching are two things that are you know, our guardrails that uh, that have helped me at least so far, and I think will continue to help me in the future. Well, that's good. Um, I think counseling is is one of those things, you know, I think we're, we're finally beginning to erase the negative stigma around counseling a little bit more. I yeah. know there's definitely more of an openness from younger leaders anyways, um, to being proactive in seeing a counselor regularly, whether they feel like they need it or not which is, yep. I think, what you were referring to. It's just helpful, kind of similar to maintenance of a car. You don't wait till it's busted to go to your mechanic. You know, yep. you have regular oil changes, scheduled times where you're taking it in to prevent yep. that from happening, right? Yeah. Same yep. with counseling. And then the coaching piece. Um, I think counseling is pretty self-explanatory, but I'm wondering if you could drill down just on the coaching piece a little bit. What does that look like for you? Is that like a personal friend that, that you see as a coach? Is this a professional coach that you've hired to be a part of your life? Like, what does that look like for you? What does coaching mean to you? So for this particular season, I meet with a coach once a month. Okay. He's, uh, he's someone who's been a national church planting leader. It's, per, it's a professional thing. Like, like it's a paid thing. Um, so there's been times where I've had that. Um, and then there's been times where I've had like, uh, other people, friends just lean in and put on the coaching hat. Uh, but I'm talking probably more about the professional side. Like there were times where I paid out of my own money, uh, to get coaching every month because I wanted to make sure that, you know, staying on mission, staying on purpose and staying fulfilled in life and a coach uh, helps that. So, 
Um, right. The coaching, the, the season I'm in right now for coaching is just, I, I can't put into words how helpful he has been wow. uh, to in this new role, in this new season, and navigating waters we've never seen before and having wow. someone who's already sailed through it uh, and, 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 and pulling the best out of me while offering his experience as well has just been invaluable. So it, you know, I, to me, coaching is just such an important piece of my leadership development. If I want to be in this long-term, I need to have it. Where would a young leader go? Where would they even begin looking to, to find a coach? Um, if they were interested in something like that and helping and seeing the, finding the benefits like you have from a coach, where would they go? Where, where should they start other than Google? Or yeah. maybe that's where to start. I don't know. <laughs> well, you could start there. Um, I would, <laughs> I, you know, for me, it's always personal reference. So that helps a lot. Okay. So if you have friends that have been coached by someone or if you've ever had a coach, um, but district office is a, is a great place. I know that you guys have access to coaches. Uh, so colleagues, other leaders, ask around. Somebody knows someone now who's a coach because coaching is becoming more mainstream. Right. Um, but yeah, so that's where I would look. Uh, yeah, you could try Google. That would be fun. That would be a great experiment. Um, but I, I don't I don't know if that's where I would end up. I, there are times that I needed specific coaching and I needed a specific skill set. Sure. So not all coaches are the same. Okay. Some coaches have different skill sets. Right. Um, you know, so I think, you know, I think you just have to, you know, decide what you need and then ask around. Yeah. That's great. Great tip. Great leadership advice there. All right. Final question of the leadership top fives here, Paul. This is yep. great. Um, it's to do with maturing, knowing that leaders are learners and that we never fully arrive. Um, what's the best book, podcast, webinar, conference, training? Maybe it's coaching. Maybe you've already covered this. Uh, totally up to you. Uh, but that you've intentionally participated in over the last year that's helped you the most. Just give us a, you know, kind of a resource or something that's been so beneficial that you've learned over well, the last year. Yeah, I mean, I actually found the Global Leadership Summit really good this year, so I okay. I would include that. Yeah, I found that very 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 good. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that the thing that that I, that I was able to participate in this year, and unfortunately it's not wide open for everyone, but I'll share some of my learning with it. Uh, was the Church Planting Leadership Fellowship? Ed Stetzer and a group of people have gathered. I don't know. I think it was like eighty different denominations and networks. Wow. That make up that make up seventy five percent of all the church planting in North America, and mm -hmm. so all these leaders represent. So POC is allowed to send two. Now that we're online, we can send a few more. Right. Uh, but it was this this conference with Leonard Sweet, and he talked about how we're moving from a bell curved world to a well curved world. So the bell curved world, where you know. Most of the people were in the middle, you know, like you're either left or right, but, you know, you could kind of see each other's side. You know, there was this aspect right. of like, you know, the middle class kind of thinks the same way. Right. But but there's but there's a polarization that's happening, not only in Canada, of course, we see it in the States yeah. where that that bell curve world is turning into a well curved world where you can't actually be in the middle and see both sides. 
you're being forced to the edges. So you either are like, you can't just say, well, I see their angle, but I also see their angle. No, no, you're being forced to like, you're either on the left side or you're the right side. You can't be in the middle. And what that's creating is it's pushing the majorities to the side and creating more division. And what he said, and I don't know if I've totally recovered from this yet. And he said this, that we actually, the church has a wonderful opportunity now to be a bridge. To be, to be a place where people can have conversation about all kinds of things, where, where you can bring someone who's super, super far left and super, super far right and bring them together to talk, to converse, to find out what they have in common. Wow. And the other thing is that the church is able to be, uh, you know, so if the church picks one side or the other, you know, like we're politically this, we're politically this, and we're going to stand for this. We're, and obviously we're for the scriptures, obviously, you know, that type of right, thing, obviously. Right. Yep. But, the, but this idea of like saying people who don't believe exactly how we believe are no longer welcome. We're not taking their questions. We're not interested in them. Did you know that God's is, is as much at work in their life as he is in mine? Like he cares so much. And so if we're not there. If we're not present, if we're not engaging them, who will? Yeah. There, and, uh, and I just think the church has a wonderful opportunity to be a bridge. You know, he, he went on to say that, that we talk about the priesthood of all believers, because uh, that is obviously true. But he says, what about the prophethood of all believers? Where are those that are hearing the spirit, hearing what's going on in someone else's life and being willing and able to converse, even though you disagree, like, what happened to the place where we could disagree agreeably, you know, without mm. yelling at each other on social media, without right. yeah. where, where this is the chance for the church to be a bridge. This is what Jesus did. He bridged so many things, so many different, you, the rich of the rich could hear him and they go, yeah, I get it. And the poor of the poor could hear him. They go, yeah, I get it. Like w yeah. we have an opportunity here to be led by wow. the spirit understanding that God's at work in everyone and, and that we need to be willing to engage at every level. And, you know, we, we think about, you know, the future and, you know, we've all heard the phrase carpe diem seize the day. Um, yeah. and of course that, you know, makes that seize the day, but, you know, he kind of brought up and said, maybe the church needs more of a carpe manana where it sees tomorrow. You seize tomorrow. You think about the future. You think about, what we're going to do. The problem is I actually think we're trying to seize yesterday, especially in this COVID. We're like trying to regather. And if I can just say one more thing out of that thing that I learned, he said, he said this, that best practices inform us of what worked yesterday. And so everybody's asking for best practices, but just look at what has changed since March and how yeah. everything has shifted. We need to be thinking yeah. more futuristic. We need to be thinking about where God is headed, where he's going, where he's at and where he's going. And so I just, to me, I'm, I don't have any answers. It's probably worth another longer conversation, but that just really arrested me. That's the thing that's, that's maturing me right now is thinking through what does mm -hmm. the well-curved world look like? What is the prophethood of all believers? And what are the best practices that will inform us of what will work tomorrow? Deep, yeah, we could definitely, I can see how we, uh, that's a whole nother conversation. 
Yeah. And uh, I'd love to be able to get into some of that, but we'll have to do a part two or something and, and oh, a follow-up conversation. I would love that. That's so good. And I love uh, chatting about the future and what the future church should and, and needs to look like. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, we have a real opportunity. I, I'm with you in uh, this whole COVID thing. Um, we need to close this off. And I want to ask you just a couple quick questions at the end of this, just to, uh, to give some uh, wrap up and conclusion to this. Yep. Um, first of all, Paul, what would you say? And this is overall, you know, regards to all these questions I've just been able to ask you, but on top of that, what would you say to 25 year old Paul Fraser? Um, I'm not going to say your current age, what you are now, and you don't have to tell us, but what you don't have to tell us how many years ago that was, but what would you say to 25 year old you? I'll help everyone. Right. I'll help everyone with the math. I was born in 75. <laughs> so the first thing I would, the first thing I would say to 25 year old Paul, uh, I, I would say to 25 year old Paul, spend more. That's, that's great. I'd say to 25 year old Paul, spend money on hair prevention or hair loss prevention. You know, yeah. Is. Yeah. Uh, buy stocks in Apple and Amazon. And then uh, but but probably on a more serious note, uh, build habits on physical health every day. I didn't do that really, really well. And so just coming back to that full health, uh, you know, would be would be important. And if I, it, you know, for, you know, for another thing, I would say, and don't be a self promoter. God will promote you at the right time. He'll open the right door. Don't try to force your way into certain roles or positions or places. Don't, you know, don't worry about that. God knows exactly where you are. He'll come get you when you're, when he thinks you're ready and when you need to move. That my friends will preach right there. You heard it. The Reverend Paul Fraser. <laughs> um, Paul, what do you do for fun? Uh, where would we find you if you just had a day to yourself, just looking to have some fun? What would you be doing? Sunday uh, afternoons, I'd be because I'm like love fantasy football, so that's what I do. Uh, maybe golfing, okay. maybe golfing during the week when the weather's nice, and then ball hockey in the winters. Those are the things that really give me a lot of lot of energy. Well, Paul, this has been a real gift. Um, to our listeners and to, to myself as well. I've learned some new things about you. Um, we know that Paul cannot live on bread alone, uh, <laughs> nor can man, especially the salty stuff. And uh, so, Paul, we appreciate you doing this. Um, where could our listeners find you online? I mean, I had trouble, I, but I know you're on social media, different places. If they wanted to connect with you, follow up, maybe had a, a follow-up question yep. we didn't cover here today. Where could they find you online? Uh, Coach Fraser is my Instagram and Twitter handle. So coach, just how it's spelled, but with a P-H instead of an F. Coach P-H. There it is. That's that's fat. That's P-H. Yeah. Coach Fraser. And then paul.fraser at paoc.org. If you have a, if you need a place to email, happy to chat. I'm not too busy. So feel free to reach out. Love it. Well, thanks again, Paul. This is this has been awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Paul Fraser. What an incredible guy and just a fun guy to be around. And Paul, we just appreciate you being so open and transparent 
um, as you answered those top five questions. And I really hope that those have been helpful to you. Uh, I hope that this has been time well spent. And if it has, I want to encourage you to go ahead and share the good news of the Leadership Matters podcast with maybe a friend or on your social media. Um, leave a review, a, a rating, wherever you get your podcasts. All of that just helps spread the news of the Leadership Matters podcast and get the word out there. And uh, uh, as always, we, uh, we want you to remember um, that, that this podcast is all about equipping, encouraging, and empowering you as a leader because your leadership really does matter. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Matters Podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, why don't you take a moment and subscribe on iTunes to ensure you never miss another episode. Until next time, remember your leadership matters.